This podcast is presented by Rabbi Peretz Muchkin, speaking to the millennial generation. Welcome to the Rabbi Peretz podcast officially. I am really honored to have with me a really uh, a great learning partner and a friend. Uh, so that's what this podcast is going to be like. You're going to see like, what is this podcast? Well, it's me and a friend. So uh, you're getting to tune into something we get to do on a regular basis, which is uh, learn over the pandemic. Um, um, this was one of my mainstays, having a weekly uh, learning partner. You call it a chavruta. And uh, we did it over Zoom for the last two years. And uh, so here you are, Bar Grant. Welcome to the Rabbi Parrots podcast. Thanks for coming on and sharing your voice with, the, with my little world. I am thrilled to be here. Well, I wanted to discuss with you this week, our learning was going to be set around the holiday of Purim coming up. And the chief character of the Purim story is Queen Esther. And although, you know, there's uh, much to discuss about Purim and its connection to the name Jew and, uh, and Purim and its miracle and Purim and uh, the festivities, we sometimes don't take enough time to sit and focus on the fact that at the center of the story, the last book entered into the lexicon of, of Jewish uh, uh, books called the Holy Books and, uh, and Scripture is the book of Esther. So at the center of this is Esther. So who is Esther? And there's no better person to talk about it than with you, because as I want to get into soon, uh, the Rebbe, who we're going to show that to, to, to everybody here soon, spoke to you and your mom and called her Queen Esther. And, uh, and so I thought that this is your, there's no better person to talk about Esther than with you. Let's go, let's do it that way. So, uh, here goes the Esther, the Esther synopsis that we'll bring up for the table. Esther is, uh, essentially an orphan, you know, when the Jewish people are driven from their lands. And, uh, as we see, unfortunately now in current time, uh, lots of bad things happen. People lose their family. People struggle with, with many, with many challenges. And Esther was no, was no different. The Jewish people were driven out of their land and uh, absorbed into the Babylonian empire and were struggling to maintain their identity and their survival. Because when you get absorbed into a new empire, it's sometimes hard to keep, you know, your place of origin. And for the Jewish people, the origin is very significant, the land of Israel and getting out of Egypt and all our holidays, et cetera, and, and, uh, and our temple. And this was the first temple we're talking about. So Jewish people had no other history than leaving Egypt and being for several hundred years in their land. So now being in a new land, Esther, you know, uh, the story of a little girl living by her uncle Mordechai's house, uh, you know, could have ended that way. She could have said Mordechai's this really pious uh, uh, leader of the people, uh, brilliant. And, uh, and I'll just be the quiet one on the side and I'll be the, uh, you know, quote, uh, run the house and, uh, and stay out of, uh, stay out of the, the limelight. But Esther does no such thing. Esther goes to the beauty pageant and uh, that was put on for the king. He was looking for a new wife. And historically, Esther should have never made it because usually a king marries someone specifically for their connections. You know, maybe, maybe there's a love story, but a beauty pageant uh, is a little different situation because we're talking about this person over here. Queen Esther shows up. Who's your family? No family. I'm an orphan. What's your background? No background. I'm, uh, I'm, 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 I'm really a, a blank page. You know, there's really nothing there. She doesn't have much to offer. So how does she even become the queen? So it's clearly something about who she is and, 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 and how she, you know, 
handles herself and puts herself out there that, uh, that, that she's able to reach that. And for the Jewish side, it's actually complicated because when she's saying like she really has nobody, she's kind of right. What Jewish girl goes and marries the king who exiled them from their land, you know, for the people that could be almost a traitor, right? Somebody who's, who's not even part of it. So you have your Jewish people don't really see your significance. They're like, they don't feel like they have a, they have a person in the White House. You know, they don't feel like they have a, a, somebody backing them up. On the contrary, uh, they're not, uh, you know, they may not even know. And, uh, and in the palace itself, she has no uh, really people guiding her in there for her because she's alone. She doesn't have an agenda, technically, especially in the beginning, uh, so much so that the Megillah, the book of Esther, starts off with she doesn't have an agenda. Mordecai says, you just need to be there. I don't know why, uh, but I support you in this. And, and even though it's hard to lose you and for you to leave my house and, and I love you and I think you're amazing, Nevertheless, she goes there. So it's really a fascinating tale that doesn't really start off with any major significance other than she's clearly beautiful and uh, the king falls in love with her beauty and she's able to move into the palace. So I, I find this early narrative to be something worth meditating on because we're all beautiful uh, in our own way. And we all uh, and we all come to the palace. We come to the world where we, we, we don't really know what our role is going to be. And yet... The Jewish soul that we possess is telling us, no, no, there's going to be something. You're going to have something significant to do in your life. And uh, so hang in there. You'll see. I can't let you know right now, but down the road, there's going to be something beautiful and significant. So that's this Esther, so much so that there are the Talmud says that Esther wasn't her name. Her real name was Hadassah. Esther means that there's something hidden. And there's nothing more profound today's day and age where we realize that, uh, and society is realizing that we've worshipped external beauty without recognizing that it's actually a ruse. It's covering up an immense power and ability to have impact and bring to the world. So this is the the way to look at Esther. That is in a way a way we could look at ourselves because Esther, you know, when she looked in the mirror, she didn't see a beautiful person. She saw somebody who has to be there for a bigger purpose. But what is that purpose? And it's hidden from her as well. So Esther isn't just that her beauty is hiding something beneath the surface, her identity, her, her motivation, but it was also hiding from herself. What am I really here for? Why am I in this palace with this chauvinist, this world leader? Like, and I don't really care. The beginning of the Megillah goes out of its way to say every person in the harem that went to meet during the beauty pageant, the king, when it came to Esther, he said, well, what do you want? She said, nothing. I don't want anything. So in the Megillah story, you could say she was holding onto it for when she would need something. But truth is right there in the moment, she didn't have anything she really needed. She, she's only you know, going through the motions of saying like, if this is what Hashem wants from me, if this is what it's all about, I'm ready to do it. So this is a fascinating tale. And, and I'm interested based on your, on your uh, background as a, as a writer and a Hollywood person and having uh, a mom that was in, in front and center, like how this uh, Queen Esther story resonates with you and this type of um, journey of not knowing what you're really here for, but then having to like, you know, uncover that concealed nature and then use it to really change your world and the world around you. Well, the, the thing that was most fascinating to me is my mother won the pageant in 1945. And the pageant was the first peacetime event in America after the end of World War II. And wow. she uh, 
was pushed into doing it by her sister who kind of lived vicariously through my mother and my mother's own mother was very against this. Jewish girls don't wear bathing suits in front of thousands of people and uh, win some ribbon. It was very upsetting to her family. And uh, my mom is the only Jewish Miss America ever. Because wow. Jewish mothers don't pray for their daughters to be beauty queens. They want them to be lawyers and doctors and, and natural scientists. So my mother gets down to Atlantic City and for my mom growing up in a ghetto in the Bronx, she thought everyone was Jewish. And she gets to Atlantic City and no, not only is no one Jewish, but my mother is 5'10", raven black hair, very skinny and antithetical to the beauty concept of the time, wow. which Betty Grable, a little curvaceous, blonde hair on top. And my mother eventually won because her talent was extraordinary. She played Grieg on the piano. She played Gershwin on the flute. And the other girls yodeled and tap danced. So she got to win this incredible thing. And she said something very profound. When she walked down the runway after she was crowned, all the Jews in the audience turned away from the runway to embrace each other because the victory was theirs. They were proving that Jews could win at something and they were beautiful. And at that moment, my mother realized she was no longer a person, she was a symbol. And that's a very hard load to carry. But when she went out into America because of the anti-Semitism, it was horrible. All the sponsors withdrew their sponsorship. There were signs, no dogs, no Jews. She went home decimated. And fortunately, the Anti-Defamation League found her and said, look, you still have half a year left. Go out for us and talk to students who maybe are not yet engulfed in hatred and bigotry and racism and everything. So my mother wrote a speech called You Can't Be Beautiful in Hate. And she went to these schools and became a public speaker. But the point you make about Queen Esther is interesting because she was with, she loved her dad and they were together on a rooftop back in the Bronx with laundry like this. This is before the pageant. And my mother said, dad, I'm really scared. I don't want to do this. I don't want to go to Atlantic City. And he said, Bessie, listen, there was this lady, Queen Esther, back in the day. And she was a beauty queen. And she saved her people. So there's nothing wrong with you going. Maybe something great will happen to you. 
and his prophecy was true. That, that's unbelievable, um, that connection of her and Queen Esther and that type of journey. Um, you know, when we first met, you told me that you met the, the Rebbe and, uh, and that your mom met the Rebbe. And I looked up the video and, uh, and, I, and I just want to play it because it fits so well into this idea that your, your grandfather had the foresight to like reach into Jewish history and give her context. And, you know, there was probably no escaping it for her, right? Post-World War II, uh, a pageant that was not a Jewish thing. It had no Jewish history to it, uh, let alone the anti-Semitism built into, into the stereotypical Jews aren't beautiful per se. It's the blonde American blue-eyed, uh, you know, uh, interestingly enough, uh, European and German type of, um, and, and, and not necessarily a look that fits for the Jewish people. And yet your father, before it all starts, had the foresight to say that. And then after it all happens, you know, she meets the Rebbe and it's the same thing the Rebbe brings up. So I thought maybe we'll play the video of the Rebbe and, uh, and, and we'll talk about that experience a little bit because I'm fascinated by your personal connection that you had over there. Um, so the video is here. It's, um, here we go, and let's play it. Bara, it's, uh, yeah. you know, seeing the video again, I really see how the Rebbe paid so much attention to you and your writing and your transmission of your mother's story. Like, I, although it wasn't like, oh, write your mother's story, but he kept going back and forth, like your mother influencing you and you influencing your mother and your mother adding to your education and you and you writing, you know, in, in an uplifting manner. And uh, so first uh, to break that down a little bit, uh, how, how the Rebbe essentially calls your mom. Um, and I guess there was a previous meeting as well uh, of where he refers to her as Queen Esther. And, uh, and it's funny, I thought that was the video I was playing and instead I'm playing the video where it's more about you. And so maybe by divine providence, that's the right video to play. So the Rebbe refers to your mom as Queen Esther and in the sense of that she has this beauty and that's why people are calling to her, but really she has a bigger mission 
uh, influencing the world around her and uh, and and finding the opportunity in her case, you know, breaking anti-Semitism stereotypes and even deeper. Um, I know your mother had a full life. And uh, it's not it's not easy uh, uh, being a woman, being a Jewish woman, being a beauty queen and then and then also being so talented and having to, you know, really make types of decisions and dealing with uh, public responses. Um, what was it like for your mother to meet the Rebbe? What type of strength did she draw from that experience? And in your words, like how did she use the Queen Esther um, um, not metaphor, but 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 inspiration to to live her life? I think um, embedded in what he said to both of us was the word modesty. And it's interesting he used that word because my mother uh, was so powerful at that moment when she met with him that it could have gone to her head to become something uh, very you know, like Queen Bess, as opposed to Bess Meyerson, guardian of the people, because my mom had different jobs in politics where she helped people a lot. Um, and I think he was steering her that way by using that word. Uh, and that affected her profoundly, uh, as, as it did me. And the other thing, of course, is for him to bless my writing, which was my life, and make that uh, important spiritually was everything for me. And uh, he kind of put his stamp of approval on us both. And uh, at the same time, curtailed either one of us from you know, thinking fame was important and the externals were important and brought it back to this theme of modesty. And if you're a beauty queen, you got to be careful that you remain modest as hard as that might be. And I think uh, that influenced my mother a great deal. Wow. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, it's, it's amazing. And in the Megillah, there's this moment where, where Mordechai is telling Esther about like, about like this job, kind of like your dad telling your, your grandfather, telling your mom in that sense of like, you know, you, you, it's hard to harness external things as your power as a Jew, because specifically for Jewish people, where we have too much history and we're too connected to real reality and how difficult it is to use all your talents for the world to want to spend our time. Hence, like you said, you know, usually a, a Jewish kid, their parents are telling them, be doctors, be lawyers. They want them to be meaningful parts of the world and successful and give them a chance to, to really use all their skills and talents. But once in a while, there needs to be a Mordechai, uh, somebody who says, you know, I, I see the beauty too, but there's so I see so much more to you, and and you and and you could reach that that way. It's like on Friday night when I sing the song Eshet Chayel. The song is really like that. It's supposed to be that the husband may seem like an important part of the family, but he really only is important if his wife is the is the crown and the queen above him. In other words, if you could see in the relationship 
that the, that the wife is actually the leader of the will of the family and that she's the heartbeat of the family, then, then the man could go out there and be and reach himself. And there's so much to discuss on that because it's so personal. Every, every time is different. But here you see it in the Megillah. Mordechai tells Esther to do it, knowing that she's great and that her, her greatness needs to be used in a concentrated form at the right time. And the same thing with your grandfather, having that like incredible um, foresight and soul-like confidence to push her there. And then you come years later and you're in the midst of your primes of influential uh, uh, you know, space that was achieved on some level by the external beauty. And the Rebbe's like, you know, you are the, it's the internal talent that you possess that's allowed this to be. And just like validating what's going on with you guys. And like you said, you're writing and your, and your mother's, um, you know, influence. And, uh, and I'm just, I like, this is, this is, it's so inspirational for me personally to like, not only my relationship with my wife and my daughters, but also as a whole in our learning. And, uh, as you, as you write about your mother's life now and prepare and prepare, you know, the world to see what she's about, like, how do you incorporate this part, the Esther part of it, the modesty part of it, in like a modern way that like is inspirational? Like, how do, how do you see it? I, I think it's so fascinating that you're that you're incorporating that into the storytelling of like of like this tug of war of of the world wanting to constantly see you for your outside beauty. But like you having to maintain that force of like, no, it's that's that's merely that's a, barely a tool. The main tool is the talent and the abilities that I could use to have greater influence. Yeah, my mother was lucky because so much was happening in terms of anti-Semitism. And then, of course, Israel was born uh, in 1948. And she got to, because of the anti-Semitism that was, that barraged her personally, she really felt, here's Israel, just like I had nowhere to go when they were trying to destroy me. Uh, now with Israel, we all have somewhere to go. And I'm going to make sure, and she did, she raised more money for Israel bonds than anyone ever did. And it became her passion. She was married to Israel, to the state. She met with Ben-Gurion and Golda Meir and Rabin and uh, Moisha, Diane, and uh, picked that up as her cause. So no matter what she was doing, her faith and her her Jew, Jew, Jewishness became the center of everything. And that saved her. That made her modest. That made her uh, not rely on her beauty, but her words and the speeches she gave and the passion she had really did a lot, a lot for the Jews. Wow. I'm I what your mom essentially like uses <laughs> uses uh her Jewish identity as her calling card for modesty. That's a, I think that's a that's a new idea. I have to think about that. That's amazing uh to think about it that way. And I'm also thinking about like how by sticking to her identity and to her and to her and to her, you know, her people, she also really changed from my point of view the whole she was the beginning of of like beauty is, 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 could be anything, right. Breaking the stereotype of the blonde, 
person exclusively. I mean, listen, I grew up with uh, my mom and my sisters and now my daughters are all blonde and, and like, but it's not a thing. The only thing is the person themselves and, and, uh, and the words that they have and the influence that they, that they create and the, and the driven element to them. And, uh, and she, and she had that in spades. So she paved the way, whether people know it or not for so many people, I know a lot of young people uh, don't know who your mom is. And the same way they don't know, you know, people from the forties and fifties, it makes sense, but, uh, but uh, hopefully they'll be introduced uh, to her and research. And when they realize that there's, it's a complicated story, it's, they need to know that Esther of old was a complicated story when she said to, to the, to the, to the sages of old, like, this is the story. They were like, eh, we want to write it differently. We're not really sure. And she was like, no, this is the story. The story is a Jewish girl thrown in essentially to the lion's den into the, into the, into the chaos of the world and having to directly confront the issues of the time and try your best to influence. And even though that's going to get you into a lot of trouble, you know, I, I wanted to bring up one more Megillah point, And that is that Haman, who wants to kill all the Jewish people, he has all these claims that the Jewish people, they're spread out amongst your lands and they have different customs and they behave differently and, uh, and, and you should get rid of them. And so it works. And then when the, when the king is confronted by Esther, Esther doesn't say, no, we're not really spread out and no, we don't really think differently and no, we care about the king. She actually affirms all of that. She's like, yeah, we're different. We have different customs and we're totally, you know, marching to the, to the beat of our own drum. But nevertheless, it doesn't take away from our desire to impact society in a positive way and be an asset to the world. In fact, it's our differences that push us to be these type of people. And this is the, to me, the big story of Esther is Esther's like, I'm using what you think is external for an internal purpose. I'm like, if that's when you're using your soul, it's, it's not your body to get to soul, but your soul to get the body. When you realize that, yes, the soul is greater than the body, but that's only because the soul is always fluid and, and it sustains its connection to the divine. And the body is, you know, it eats, it sleeps, it needs pleasure. It has all these other external things. But on a, on a much deeper level, and Esther meaning a concealed level, Esther meaning concealment, it's actually the opposite. Actually, the soul, because it's always connected to God, really ha doesn't have an interest to change the world. It, it'll change it if it needs to, but it really, all it wants is to connect to its creator. That's why when you meditate and get into a soul space, it's like you really, your problems disappear. It doesn't really have any connection to the problems. But the deepest level is not to merge with soul and, and, and exit stage left, you know? The deepest level is to bring that into the body where the body itself becomes a vehicle for something greater and becomes a vehicle for something greater than its own pleasure and its own desires and its own survival. And that's really the whole story of life of can we get the body to be via vehicle for something deeper? And the hero of that story for us Jewish people is Esther. And, uh, and you have that hero in your own life with your mom. And uh, perhaps myself and my generation don't know entirely, but hopefully through your writing and through your publishing that's going to be coming out about your mom, we'll get that same you know um, um, excitement because you know this perm story it doesn't happen right away. It takes 10 years. She becomes queen and or seven years or something like that, where the queen is, is she's doing her thing and nobody even knows like, oh, we got a Jew in the palace. It's not even a thing because what's she doing after all? It's she's actually just waiting her time. 
but really she's cultivating her body. Who is her body? The people who work with her, her, her employees in the palace, her connection to Mordechai, a new connection, one of just clandestine messages back and forth. In other words, in her subtle way, she's preparing the foundation for when the opportunity comes to impact the world, I'm going to be ready. I'm going to be able to stand up. And imagine preparing a lifetime for impact. And that's really something you don't usually get when you just live your own private life. When you live a public life, that's even harder because people are constantly praising you for all the public offerings that you do and they're whitewashing what's going on behind the scenes. Your mom, from the research I've done and from what I've spoken to you, embraced even her challenges and her, and her adversity and didn't shy away from it and dealt with it. And, and it's such an inspirational story and rightly so, the Rebbe calling it the, the Queen Esther of our time. And, and rightfully so, blessing your writing is saying like, you're gonna, you're gonna bring this story to the people, not when her generation gets it and could contextualize it, but when it could be brought into the new people, just like us getting Queen Esther book today, the Megillah, and having to contextualize the, the feminine power and the ability to be queen and to lead her people to not only success, but to the highest place, which is a place living with deep gratitude and deep satiation. So I think it's such an amazing, inspirational story. You and your mom and the Rebbe and your grandfather and Queen Esther and Mordechai. It really is. It's unbelievable. And I'm so grateful to have this relationship with you where we learn and we share some texts and some inspiration. And it's really just uh, we get to fire each other up on, on, on impact and purpose in this world. Yes. I'll tell you <laughs> one when she went to the pageant, the woman who ran the pageant wanted her to change her name because wow. Bess Meyerson sounded a little Jewish. And she wanted my mother to call herself Beth Merrick. And my mother said, why would I do that? Because it wasn't TV yet. If I win, which I won't, everyone who knows me in the Bronx from the Sholem Alechem apartment complex won't know it's me if I don't have my name. So almost without knowing it right away, she made her Judaism the center of who she was. Anyway. Wow. That's, that's, a, that's amazing. Um, I really hope we get to talk about this again, especially as it comes forward. You're, you're, you're so gracious and I, and I appreciate our learning and our time together. And for you coming on the podcast and sharing some of the story that uh, hopefully will inspire others to, to, you know, keep building their foundation and sticking to their moral compass and, and believing in their story, especially as a Jew, believing in your story that it's here to bring you to a position to make real impact and real change. And even in the face of blatant anti-Semitism and straight up marketing anti-Semitism, change your name. Like it's so, and you know, and she had all the reason to follow that advice, right? You know, use your, my God-given beauty to maximize my life, become wealthy. It's like, no, every step of the way is I'm carrying a greater load and I'm going to excel at it and I'm going to stick to it from the Shalom Aleichem complex. Holy moly, that's beautiful. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you. Happy Purim, everybody. I hope you're listening to this and you'll celebrate Purim and mind and spirit and uh, and uh, find the Megillah reading, uh, find a way to celebrate uh, Queen Esther and how she didn't only save the Jewish people. She did a lot more than that. 
She saved our, our soul, our consciousness, our ability to know that when the right time comes, we have so much impact to make. Thank you so much for coming on, Bara, and, uh, and I look forward to continuously being affected by you and your story. Thank you so much. Thank you, Rabbi. I appreciate it. Amazing. Amazing. You're the best. Uh-huh. <laughs> You're the best. I mean, like this is this is the uh, I was reading a chapter today on on uh, on Queen Esther from the late great Rebbe Adin Steinsaltz, and and he was just like, you know, really pushing this idea so so deeply that we have to see Queen Esther as somebody who, you know, didn't set out with any goals, you know, she just set out with this desire to, what's the best version of a Jewish person? I want to be that person. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. All right, Barbara. Well, hopefully we'll get to learn next week as well. Um, yeah, and we'll go maybe do a little Megillah text. Okay. All right. You're- thank you so much. I'll talk thank- to you soon. Feel good. Thank you. Bye-bye.